are back, back with the Sooners offensive coordinator search closed, back with Garen Emig, and back for the 27th episode of the Letterman Jacket Podcast, number 27, Garen, Gavin Sawchuk, Oklahoma running back, cornerback Jaden Rowe, 1927, Sooners went 3-3-2 three, three, and two and didn't <laughs> eclipse 20 points in all but two games, only two games over 20 points, probably could have used an offensive coordinator then. We're going to talk about... The Sooners OC search, the quick one, the brief one, the one that didn't really have to leave Norman. Uh, we are going to talk about the weekend ahead, uh, the Sooners, bowl sites, all that. But first, we have to jump in with a message from our sponsors, Rose Hill Builders, the National Cowboy and Western Heritage Museum, Oklahoma Ford Dealers, Our Blood Institute, Bob Moore Auto Group, and of course, Garen, our friends at FireLakeJobs.com, Citizen Potawatomi Nation has more than 75 position available, positions available. So excited I ran through it. 75 positions available at one of its many businesses. Go to firelakejobs.com to find out more and join the team. Garen, we got to stop meeting like this. What, th- three out of the last four days we've jumped on into this virtual studio to talk about the Sooners, talk about offensive coordinator stuff. And here we are, uh, midweek, and the Sooners have officially settled on their plan for the future at offensive coordinator in the wake of Jeff Levy's exit. They have, by the way, are we doing a show every time a sooner jumps into the portal? Yeah, no. Well, any, anything <laughs> for the two of us to just get to, to hang on here and for me to get to look through that camera to, at that wonderful smile. And so, yeah, so much for the off season. I was looking forward to, huh? Any, I anytime, know. Anytime I get to come on the jacket is quality time. You know that. Um, well, it is quality time to talk offensive coordinators because yes. the last yes. time, shoot, the last time you were on the jacket, technically, Jeff Levy was still uh, offensive coordinator of the Oklahoma True. Sooners. We've yep. done a few uh, reaction videos at selloutcrowd.com. If you're curious, if you want to see what we were wearing uh, or thinking in the moments that you know Jeff Levy left, or after the Sooners kind of hit some resolution here, you can find out. Uh, but more importantly. The Sooners have ended their offensive coordinator search. It ends, uh, as we spoke about and reported on at selloutcrowd.com last night and ended today with Seth Luttrell, offensive analyst in 2023, taking over the offensive coordinator role uh, and taking over the quarterback's coaching role. And then Joe John Finley, tight ends coach, he'll stay coaching the tight ends. And he's got a co-offensive coordinator Mm -hmm. designation. Uh, so not exactly co-offensive coordinators, but there is a co-offensive coordinator. If you can figure out that math, uh, <laughs> good on you. But Thanks. point being, the, the, the Sooners are settled there, and, and it kind of went, I think, how a lot of people expected it to, uh, not just in terms of internal hire, Seth Luttrell, um, but also in, in a move that ultimately keeps Joe John Finley and Norman, um, certainly a, a coveted young assistant, somebody other schools, whether it would have been Jeff Levy in Starkville or anywhere else, might have been looking around too. So he gets uh, a title change. Perhaps that'll come with a pay bump. And the Sooners kind of keep things status quo. Continuity is there. All mm-hmm. that, as we've discussed at uh, several, several different points, big at this time of year. Uh, and, and Brent Venables goes into 2024 now knowing uh, who's going to be calling plays. Yeah, you know, like we've talked a lot about in the in the shows we've done uh, since this all started up, the importance of continuity that's been the bu- buzzword because of the presence of the transfer portal. You, I mean, kids think of reasons, you know, left and right and left center and right center to jump in. One of the most commonly used is coaching change. Understandably, uh, that a lot of times players sign with coaches, not schools, and so to continue. Uh, any relationships that Finley and Latrell have built with current players, obviously quarterback Jackson Arnold is where you start, but there's there's a certain trickle down, or certainly a trickle down to others. That helps Brent Venables. Uh, but it's not just it's not just for continuity's sake. There has to be a track record. And I, I probably like you, I'm sure like you and a lot of fans, since this news has become official, didn't just dive into what Latrell did at North Texas as head coach. Especially with one Mason Fine, the Locust Grove kid, who who became a uh, somewhat of a group of six star down there at quarterback in Seth's offenses, but in the past, right? I mean, the, the numbers that Latrell's offenses put up at Arizona when he was working for Mike Stoops, at at Indiana when he was working for Kevin Wilson, 
at North Carolina when I believe it was Larry Fedora hired him to uh, coordinate the Tar Heels offenses. Obviously has track record with Mike Leach, dating back to when Leach coached the one season in Norman and Latrell was still a Sooner player. This makes sense um, for a lot of reasons beyond continuity. And it leads you to believe, we'll see how it plays out, of course, but it leads you to believe that there shouldn't be too big a dip. Shouldn't be too big a dip in production, assuming Latrell's track record holds up now that he's uh, the offensive coordinator at OU. Certainly has like the resume. I mean, he, he fits the mold perfectly. Former Sooner, uh, right. you, you list the name of people he's worked for. His first job as a grad assistant came with Mark Mangino, mm -hmm. uh, Mike Leach guy. He's got a stoops in his, you know, he's worked for um, it, it. All that, you know, tracks for Seth Luttrell. And then you look at the numbers and, and the places he excelled. I mean, Arizona has been up and down, but Indiana is not a place where success is promised. North Carolina, they had some record setting offenses and uh, North Texas. I, I think it was four uh, of the seven seasons he was there. Top 30 in scoring. So he knows offense. We know that. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, if, if this was a, a year or two ago or a different time, you know, right now it's an internal promotion, but if Seth Luttrell or was in a job elsewhere and his name had popped up on a short list and Brent Venables had pulled him in from somewhere else. Um, I don't, I don't know that anyone is out there not celebrating the hire or really panning mm -hmm. it, but you know, this would, this would maybe feel like something even bigger, you know, bringing somebody in a, f a former player, 2000 national champion, all that. The point is um, he's got the track record. He's been mm -hmm. here um, over the last year um, Brent Venables has spoken about him really highly. I think when he got here last spring, Brent said, um, you know, they, they had overlapped obviously during Seth's playing days that this was one of the, his favorite players he never got to coach directly. His Brent's defensive coach set mm -hmm. fullback, that whole thing. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I think, you know, in, in all those senses, it's knocked out of the park. And the fact that, you know, Jackson Arnold has, uh, today, this is how we measure things in 2023, Garen, with retweets and Instagram stories. He's given his seal of approval. All right. that is good. And and then the questions come just again, you know, could have hired anybody. The question would be, can you keep up the levels that Jeff Levy hit? Can you improve mm -hmm. in the places he struggled? Uh, can you figure it out in the SEC? And can you maximize Jackson Arnold? Those are all the things Seth Luttrell will be measured by. Um, but as of uh, what, November 29th, end of the day. Um, I, I think this is a pretty positive hire for the Sooners on, on all levels. Uh, and I'll be excited to, to see sort of what what's different, because that was the interesting thing. Uh, if you read the statements from Brent Venables and Seth Luttrell, start with Brent Venables. Pulling a few of the quotes here. Yes, this was an easy and convenient move, he said, but it was also the best move for our program, our players and our staff. I went through a process and vetted and visited with a lot of candidates sitting head coaches, former head coaches, NFL assistants, quarterback gurus, and others. goes on from there. So there, there was some process here, at least according to Brent Venables, and that's what we'd heard was that he would make some calls around, but from the jump, looked likely it was going to be here. What, what interested me, uh, everybody, myself included, and, and I, I still think you know, this is maybe one of the more interesting developments to watch, um, is you know, Seth Luttrell, background is in the air raid. And so the assumption is uh, that's what he's going to run with the Sooners. Um, you know, he did in the last few years at North Texas introduce some of the stuff that kind of lands more in the veer and shoot of Jeff Lebby. Mm -hmm. um, and, and obviously that's what the, the offense the Sooners have had the last couple of years. And in, in his own statement, Seth Luttrell said, you know, uh, basically said, uh, in my last few years at North Texas, you know, we moved towards some some different things. The offense isn't going to change drastically. Um, terminology will stay the same, but different play caller. You're going to have some different flavors. And I think. You know, I'll be curious to see what develops there. I mean, his background over years and years and years is in the air raid. That's what, you know what he comes from. It's what he succeeded with primarily. Uh, he tried some different things at the end with North Texas, but the marriage between you know and, and how different these offenses all really are. But you know, a veer and shoot, which is the Art Briles Jeff Levy mm -hmm. offense versus the air raid. They're they're slightly different schools of thought. Um, you know, I caught up with Hal Mummy this week to talk about Seth Luttrell. No one better to ask about the air raid than that guy. Um, See, so th there are distinctions. Uh, I'll be curious to see what they ultimately run and how they run it. And I'll be curious to see how the connection develops between Latrell and the quarterbacks. And I want to use that as an excuse to circle back to another guy you talked to for your piece on selloutcrowd.com. And that's what Marquise Williams, right? The guy that 
was a quarterback at North Carolina when Latrell was there. And he seemed to speak in terms of not just, I mean, I mean he, he referenced Latrell's knack for play calling and, and, you know, offense and that kind of thing. But I think he, he started, or at least you started your story with an example of the relationship that developed between coordinator and quarterback. It, that, it's, I mean, they're, they're, they're two people of the same mind, especially at, at a school like Oklahoma, right? I mean, we, we, we think not just in terms of Dylan Gabriel and Jeff Levy, based on the last two years separately, but almost in concert. That's probably how it's going to work. Or if it's, a, it's, it's an OU's best interest, I should say, for it to work that way with Seth Luttrell and Jackson Arnold. And I thought that what Williams told you for your story spoke well of the potential for, the, for that relationship to flourish. Again, different time and place. That was, what, eight years ago? Nine years ago? 2015. Like yeah. yeah. The junior in high school. About the time Lincoln Riley was getting started mm. someplace. I can't remember where. Oklahoma. It was Lincoln in 15. <laughs> what, was that, what was that big job promotion he got in 2000? Anyway, um, point being, uh, I, I'll be curious. Obviously, I'm going to be curious to see what the offense looks like, what air raid principles Latrell keeps, what he, what he incorporates, all that stuff, how familiar it is to anything that Levy ran the last two seasons. But again, how does the yin and yang work between him and Arnold or, or him if Gabriel comes back by, for some chance, him and, him and Gabriel for that matter, because that, that's going to tell a big story as well. Yeah, yeah. so the, the story you're referencing, it was the lead in, in my kind of big thing, made calls around, talked to people about Seth Luttrell. And the story is, you know, what can OU fans expect from their new coordinator, a guy maybe they're familiar with from his playing days. They know he's been on staff, but he's been a lot of other places in between. Um, and Marquise Williams, he was, it was his senior year in 2015 at, at UNC at Mitch Trubisky backing him up, talk about pressure. And, uh, <laughs> he put up a stinker in their opener, three picks and whatnot, got back to Chapel Hill, all bummed out watching film, wouldn't, wouldn't let himself go home that night. And he got a call from Seth Luttrell. That was, you know, the, the message being, this is your team. Keep doing your thing. You've earned your place here, all that. Um, and, and I think, yeah, you're, you're exactly right. Schemes are one thing. Um, play calling is another thing, but the way you hear former players talk about Seth Luttrell as a guy who has your back, who trusts you, who empowers you, all of those things, I think if you're an Oklahoma fan and you're thinking about Jackson Arnold and, and the rest of this offense, but it, come on, it, it starts and ends with Jackson Arnold uh, when we're having these kind of conversations about 2024 and beyond, that's encouraging and that's what you'd want to hear and you'd, you'd hope that that relationship, we know Jackson Arnold had such a good relationship with Jeff Levy, that that can be continued uh, with Seth Luttrell as we move into the future. He's in the best mm -hmm. interest of Oklahoma at, at this date and time. The best interest there is for Jackson Arnold to, to be on the best path possible. That is the future for Oklahoma, for this offense, all that. Uh, one other thought, what do you think about the fact that, you know, I, I was looking at it earlier, if you include Chuck Long, I know we get into this whole co-OC thing, but if you include him, the last seven Oklahoma coordinators, offensive coordinators, have landed head coaching jobs afterward in this instance you've got someone with head coaching experience coming in and uh -huh. you know I, I wrote my story about time of possession and and more on the game management just in terms of slowing it down maybe um and and keeping the defense off the field a bit more but then there's everything we talked about this year which is you know game management game control Brent Venables has talked about it now for 24 months of you know how to how to handle games and you know two years in we're, we've still had to have those conversations does does is there an added element of the fact that you're bringing in a head coach, a former head coach, to do this job and what he could bring to it? Well, I think that's that's a valid point. I think that it's 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 realistic to think that those are considerations: game management, time of possession, that Latrell has had to make at UNT, that Levy will discover himself when he's coaching Mississippi State for the first time next fall. So. It's, it's, it's actually a really good point, a uh, really, really solid way of looking at this. And again, more and it's favorable, right? Because that's there. We touched on this uh, in one of the reaction videos we did that there were wolves when it came to Levy, even with the 10 and 2 season, even with the numbers that Gabriel put up, even with the numbers that the offense put up, there were still blemishes. And one of the obvious ones is, is um, not bleeding clock. Uh, for all of Riley's faults, he certainly knew more often than not, certainly knew when it was time to essentially ice a game 
as, as Stoops' offensive coordinator and even then as head coach. That was something that I didn't get the sense that Levy had really latched onto, certainly not in season one and even at points in season two. So, yeah, I think that uh, that plays into OU's favor. Um, I, I think it's interesting the fact that Latrell has been a head coach given that Levy was able to parlay this past season into an SEC head coaching job, even if it's not a top shelf one, we should expect with success that we anticipate, I think we should expect Venables to have another search on his hands if it's not an easy promotion to Joe John Finley this time next year, right? If, if OU in their first season of SEC play wins nine or 10 games and the offense is averaging still in the upper 30s, and Arnold or um, Gabriel is, is approaching numbers that, that Dylan put up this season, then uh, I would think Latrell's going to have uh, his, his, his pick of opportunities, assuming he wants to be head coach, assuming he does again. So um, I wonder if we'll be having the same conversation this time next year, thinking that, well, it's just a matter of time before Venables makes Finley the offensive coordinator. And on the whole, that's probably a pretty good scenario if, if you're an OU fan. You don't want to have this conversation every single year. That continuity matters. But, you know, you consider where they are right now, all the change that's coming, all the change that could have come if, if this decision goes a different direction, if, if you can't count on Jackson Arnold, let's say, to be back next year um, and to move into your future. This was a really, uh, among all the other things we've discussed it as a really good hire. It's a safe mm-hmm. hire, a smart one. Um, in a year's time, you know, if, if Seth Luttrell is being targeted as a head coach, maybe that's happening earlier in the year. Maybe that's the time. Once you're in the SEC, once this job has produced, you know, two straight head coaches in quick succession, you can go out and make maybe a bigger hire, a bolder hire. Um, but I, I think for now, this made so much sense. But you were right that a former head coach in a role like this uh, is probably one good season away from at least having opportunities put in front of him. We don't know what Seth Luttrell wants next. Mm-hmm. Is he going to wait for a Power 5 job? Does he want to head back to a school you know, at the same level as North Texas? Um, all that, who knows? But that, is, um, that, that could all be on the table for a guy like him who carries the experience he does. Um, and again, I think that experience is going to serve the Sooners uh, in the near term, however long he hangs in this role. There's an, I've already envisioned, Eli, a scenario in which Lane Kiffin, who I'm honestly surprised is still a head coach at Ole Miss, hmm. says one more year you know, let me turn some heads one more year, maybe win a couple of games. I shouldn't dazzle you with my, my, my play calling acumen, move on to something that's a little bit more my style or my personality. And Latrell has, again, the kind of year I just sort of laid out. And all of a sudden you've got Venable's last two coordinators coaching the two, <laughs> the two Mississippi schools, not calling oh my, my shot, That'd be an egg not, not calling my shot, but it's that, that falls under the realistic, I somewhat realistic scenario. That, uh, that I laid out a little bit ago. By that math, and you can tell me how you feel about it, you can tell me how the family would feel about it, Christy and such. By that math, you and I are spending the Egg Bowl in 2025 in, in either Starkville or, or Oxford. So we'd have to cover it, and we could have a grand old time, especially Oxford, Man, a good tailgate scene. I, yeah, I, I'm all for an Egg Bowl as a way to you know, wake up from the Thanksgiving nap from the meal. But I, I don't know if I Come actually on. want to be. I don't know if I want to be in Starkville on Thanksgiving night. Not to. I'm sure there's some fine folks in Starkville, Mississippi that hopefully get down in Starkville, Mississippi. Shout out to my friends Robbie Falk and Brian Haddad. They get down there. They get. They get down. They get down in Starkville. They get down like like mm-hmm. you're, you know your your 70s disco term in me right now. Is that what you're I'm doing? I'm just saying they get down. I know they know how to go, have a good time out there in, in Mississippi, Man. especially Starkville. Is, is the 70s you gotta, uh, disco slang chic now, Eli? It's, Did I, have I it's missed that cyclical, right? Maybe it's back. Maybe it's back. You're going to hit me with dynamite next? It's dynamite in, uh, in Oxford. What else would qualify here? The <laughs> <A> 70s disco. <laughs> uh, this is the detour we needed to take. I'm We're hip. on it now. Okay. <laughs> so let's let's get the car back on the road. Well, my, here's what my, I can tell fault, you: you, my, it's my fault for for grinding the gear. I'm sorry. I can tell you this: you're gonna enjoy the the folks, the fine folks on the SEC beat. We're gonna miss all everyone we cover the Big Twelve with, but I can tell you, oh, down sure. to my friends in Starkville, yeah. who, who yeah. do get down. Uh, we're gonna have some fun. SC Media Days in Dallas, Garen. We're gonna need to go out for like two weeks to Dallas. I don't know. 
we can get a sellout crowd to sponsor that. But two weeks in Dallas for for four days of SEC Media Days sounds proper. Think about how many podcasts we we could record. <laughs> hey Eli, uh, are there some are there some hip cats on the on the Ole Miss beat that I need to be aware of? Are there, yeah. are there, are there some are there some Eli? There's some jive turkeys covering the egg ball every year. <laughs> Some groovy dudes in Baton Rouge, I hear. <laughs> and that's where our offensive coordinator discussion has landed. That tells you that we've exhausted, I think, on the whole. But look, Sooners, wrapping it up. I mean, set the trail. There's as many questions as you could have about him. You could probably have about anybody. You know, we've, we've seen, if you want to look at, at Arkansas this year, you want to talk Bobby Petrino, we can. Um, one of my favorite subjects, along with Sam Pittman. But keeping it on, on the football side, you know, Dan Enos goes in there, you hire from the outside. There is no guarantee of a fit either schematically offensively or in terms of personality. If you read up on Seth Luttrell, um, obviously a program guy, uh, Stoops get, well, didn't get recruited by Stoops and co, but you know, part of the 2000 team, Brent Venables, you know, admired him as a player, admired him as a coach at North Texas. He did things like the, the Sunday cookie night where he'd have players, coaches, kids, wives, everybody out there. Um, he had an open door policy the whole time. I mean, he, he fits into into the program at Oklahoma under Brent Venables. He's a fit there. That's not a guarantee if you're bringing somebody from the outside. Uh, the offense is no guarantee. The point being, it's always great to, to look at the names and you could say, man, that guy out at LSU or Utah or anywhere else is, you know, turning heads. Right. But those fits don't always work as, as nice as they look. Shoot, look at uh, Clemson and TCU hired really exciting people in year one. How did those fans feel from September to, to right now about that? So again, all that said, nothing guaranteed about Seth Luttrell, um, but there's nothing guaranteed about going out and spending a bunch of money on somebody else uh, for, from the outside. You know what I'm going to say is, it's, I'm still sore that it wasn't Holgerson because that would have been. Just, I know that would have been a trip. I could sense we've talked, that we've talked about that, but I, I will say this: at least we're not on the Arkansas beat writing Bobby Petrino stories. Do you right? think Brent knew Bobby Petrino was available, and if he if he had, that he might have given him a call? I hope not. <laughs> I'm look. I was I was pissed enough at Venables for hiring Levy because I knew what that meant, right? For the from the Baylor stuff and. I've, there might be, I'm not saying there is, but there might be a column by someone who used to work for the Tulsa world that was written before, oh, you played Bobby Petrino's team to open what season? I can't, it, the, the COVID year is all run together. I can't remember what year. Possible it was. That was 2021 Oklahoma state. No, this no, because they, they opened with miss uh, with his Missouri state team I, in 2021. No, I, this was, you know what? This was the this was the OU's first COVID game was against Missouri State. It was twenty twenty. That makes sense. That now, makes sense. Now I'm now I'm thinking a little clearer. Any anyway, um, any chance I had at any kind of answer to any question I might have ever asked Bobby Petrino, I pretty much napalm that. <laughs> With uh, now I'm giving myself up to yes, I did write the column that essentially I think the word I used was Bobby Petrino was coming to pollute Owen Field. Hmm. The verb was pollute. And I and I don't. It's not like I'm backing off of that because I think he's that sorry a person. And uh, and so if Venables thought about calling him, whoever kept him from doing it, I owe you more than lunch because I well, I didn't, didn't really want to. I didn't want to have Petrino polluting the OU press conferences. It was bad enough that he took Missouri State on the field for that three hour debacle to kick off the COVID year. Well, I can say this. As far as I know, I'm pretty confident Bobby Petrino was not considered. I can also say, brace yourself, Garen, Dana Holgerson was always a very unlikely candidate. Which just means I just didn't try hard enough. I did what I could. You tried. Tried hard. Should have tried harder. Yeah. Well, I'm sure that uh I'm sure the offense, uh, Eli will just keep on trucking with uh the guy they did hire as as coordinator. Indeed. All right, let's move on because OU is not in a conference title game this weekend. They are nowhere. I mean, they're not far, but they're nowhere near contention for, for the New Year's Six. Excuse me. Whoa, that's a slip. Uh, that's a real slip. Nowhere near contention for the college football playoff. Uh, they are right on the edge of 
the New Year's Six, at least if you, you kind of read the rankings and thinking that, you know, 10, 11 is where you got to be. Sooners came in at 12 in Tuesday night's rankings. Uh, and that sort of sets the table. It tells you what the committee thinks. They, they have not deemed anything Oklahoma's done over the last month uh, or la- really the last three games since their two back-to-back losses to say, hey, you're better than Ole Miss. Hey, you're better than Penn State or Missouri, the other kind of two lost teams in there. Um, and that kind of leaves us, I think, as of November 30th, pretty pretty firmly staring down probably an Alamo Bowl trip mm-hmm. based on what we know now before the conference championship game weekend settles. A lot could go down, but I think based on what we've seen so far, it would be a pretty steep climb. You're probably looking at a trip to San Antonio twice in, uh, in three years for OU fans to the Alamo Bowl. Uh, I don't know how folks feel about that, but that I think is what we're looking at. Um, I guess for one, Garen, were you surprised at all to, to see OU, you know, have, you could play a lot of games comparing these schools, but the mm-hmm. two lost teams, I would mention them, Penn State, Ole Miss, and Missouri, and we're going to dive into them a little bit. Were you surprised to see OU just at 12, basically jumping Louisville upon their loss? Not really. I mean, and that's, again, that's a problem where the Sooners just didn't have opportunities in their own conference, right? I mean, what you have to do to work your way up from sort of middle of, middle of, uh, 10 to, you know, 10 to 15 or 16, when you know you're not going to the playoff and you're just trying to get an NY six bowl, you've got to, you, you have to have opportunities to, to, to jockey. And I, I just don't think they were there. Some of that was on OU, maybe not playing well enough to catch the eyes of some committee members. But I also think uh, there was a decent amount that was tied to their, the big 12 just didn't offer up possibilities. I mean, it feels like the Sooners have been drafting behind their win over Texas since the Texas game. And that just wasn't, it wasn't ever in the cards for them to do anything, but hope that teams above them would slide. And this is, I think we've established now is a year where there wasn't any sliding, right? I mean, teams that were supposed to win kept winning. That's why the playoff is uh, going to probably work out pretty well. Uh, there's going to be so many unbeaten, assuming that the uh, championship Saturday holds up true to form. I guess Friday too, if you include Washington, Oregon rematch in the Pac-12. Um, so, but but that 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 didn't just go for the playoff. That went for New York's six contenders. Not enough, not enough teams fell above Oklahoma. Oklahoma didn't really get a much bounce off Big Twelve competition. And if you're still drafting off a win you got what two months ago, you, you'll take it's what you can get. Yeah, I think they should be happy with Alamo, Eli, because I think that sets them up for eleven and two. And eleven and two looks like a hell of a pretty a hell of a record after six and seven. I think so. Uh, I guess for one, and uh, I think Oklahoma should also probably be glad. Uh, I think they would have gotten up for this game and and whatnot, but they pro- should probably be glad they're not going to Arlington this weekend. I know a lot of people wanted them there, but the, the way we've seen this defense play lately and the way mm-hmm. Texas has looked, um, perhaps the most accurate representation was how cl- of these two teams was how close they were at the Cotton Bowl. Mm-hmm. But I just think six, seven weeks later, where Texas is and where Oklahoma finished, that's okay. It doesn't have to be some big thing, but I think where Oklahoma stands now, a bit banged up on defense. Yeah. I don't know that it would have been all that pretty, or it had the potential maybe to get pretty ugly. Um, so in that sense, I think it's good, and and that also preserves Oklahoma's place. It leaves them at least in you know some kind of scenario where they could sneak into a New Year's Six, mm-hmm. but almost certainly locked into the Alamo Bowl. If you go to the uh, to to Jones uh, to Jerry World mm-hmm. and get you know beat you know you don't cover the spread none of, none of that um that could change everything so i think that's that's likely there is certainly some sentiment if you go on twitter uh you know i've made friends with uh, mr ed the guy from the big 12 tiebreaker site i haven't made friends yet with the guy or gal potentially at uh, cfp resume rankings.com because they've made a pr- you know a, a strong analytical case for ou to be um one of the top they have them top eight um but you know, if you if you look at the resumes, really, yeah, you're talking. We're again, we're talking OU, we're talking Ole Miss, Penn State, and Missouri. OU's best win is Texas. It has two losses to OSU and Kansas that I don't think look great. You know, OSU making the title game helps, but um, you look around Penn State, who they lose to Michigan and Ohio State. Their best wins aren't that great either. It's Iowa and West Virginia, um, but you know, Ole Miss, Tulane and LSU wins, Alabama and Georgia losses. Missouri, Kansas State, and Tennessee, their losses, again, Georgia and LSU. It's not really about the wins anyone else has. From that group, 
Oklahoma might have the best win, unless you want to say Ole Miss, mm-hmm. you know, Tulane, LSU, maybe we could debate those, but it's the losses. It's the fact that everyone else there lost to teams that are uh, safe for LSU, you know, are in the playoff hunt. And Oklahoma's losses yeah. were were narrow, but they were at Kansas, at Oklahoma State. I think, you know, this is a case kind of like the Big 12 title game. If Oklahoma wanted to be in the New Year's Six or in the title game or in college football playoff contention, they had every opportunity yeah. in Lawrence. They had every opportunity in Stillwater. And uh, to your point, Alamo Bowl in 11-2 and two is not a bad place to close this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's amazing how much can change in a year and how much you can forget as well how far off a year ago was because it was a very, very different story uh, when we were leaving Lubbock last year at 6-6 six and six and then leaving Camping World Stadium, nearly getting locked in at Camping World sta- uh, Stadium, Eric Bailey and I, uh, in Orlando at 6-7. and seven. This is a whole different world. Yep. I'd land on this with regard to the New Year's Six thing. If you think OU is getting screwed out of a shot to play in the Fiesta or the Cotton or the Peach isn't at large, then you need to But your, your OU, interlocking OU boxers are on too tight. Just let it go. It, 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 they're, not, they're not getting rooked. They're, they're where they should be, is bottom yeah. line. I want to circle back to something you said about a rematch against Texas. It would have been a blast to see what might have happened had there mm-hmm. been an OU Texas 2 and Jerry World Saturday. Anytime OU plays Texas in football, doesn't matter the situation. It's usually a pretty fun deal. I don't think it would have gone well. I don't. Um, I wrote coming out of that game several weeks ago, there were three things as well as OU played to win that day in in Dallas. There are three things that OU had to fix for a rematch. Uh, One was making making plays that were available on offense. Special teams was number two. Make this, make some of the simpler plays on defense. Missed tackles. They didn't have a lot that day at all, but they had a couple of very at, at bad times when Texas uh, uh, came on strong in the fourth quarter before Gabriel's heroic drive. Uh, they're they're missing more tackles now, I think, on defense than they were that day in in, in Dallas, and their special teams are still a mess. All right. So if if you're making the layups, as to, to use Brent's word for it, Venable's word for it, on offense, maybe more than you did that day before Gabriel's game-winning drive, you feel good about that. But I don't think the repairs have been made in the other two phases, besides the fact that Texas, I think, brings a, a maybe more cohesive team into the rematch, certainly a more motivated team, right? I mean, if, they're, if, mm-hmm. if they use Brett Yormark's uh, remarks at the Red Raider Booster Club meeting to fire them up to, to beat the crap out of Texas Tech, can you imagine what they would have done with OU printing T-shirts? in the days after that 34-30 win. Now, I'm not saying it would have worked, but I, I imagine that <laughs> they would have been snorting and breathing as much fire out of their, out of their nostrils to run on that field as, as Bevo does to get out of his pen down on the floor of the Cotton Bowl every year. So, look, it, I don't think it would have been a 14-point spread like Texas OSU is, right? But I don't know how much of the, the, the let's call it, betting public would have been confident in OU making it 2-0 and o against Texas in a rematch situation. I think it would have been tough, and, and they're banged up. I don't think Danny Stutzman is as healthy as he was then, certainly. Right. Gentry Williams has been banged up over the back half of the season. They're, they're in a different place, and that, again, can be okay. Uh, it doesn't need to be some big thing, but I, I think Texas has, has kind of closed the season um, on the up. Oklahoma has kind of gotten there. Um, after the, the losses to, to a good point, but I, I don't think they're in the same place right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's part of why Oklahoma's not playing this weekend, but there's a lot of great games across the country. For, if I asked you, if you're if your viewing guide for the weekend, it might start Friday night, but if where your interest is most peaked, where, where do you start? Is it in the SEC? Yeah. Is it in the Pac-12? Where, where do you begin? No, I, it's definitely Alabama-Georgia. And uh, and Alabama's close call with Auburn has me even more intrigued, right? I, I'd be interesting to see if – I'm not sure that works in Georgia's favor. <laughs> I, I, it's weird to say, right, if Alabama does what I think a lot of people expected and beaten uh, War Eagle by 30, you, maybe it works. Logic dictates that that gives Georgia even more to quake about uh, this weekend. I kind of think Saban will figure out a way to use that to his advantage and have the tide even more ready for Georgia. I am interested in Washington, Oregon, although Eli, I get the feeling that there is as much confidence in Oregon. Let's say 
if what would you say that 90 again 90 percent of the neutrals expect texas to win the big 12 over oklahoma state is that you think that's a mm-hmm. fair assessment i think that's fair i don't know if that's the right number we can talk about that and gear in gear out but okay um i get the sense that that's about what people expect oregon to do against washington i i just seems to the sentiment is so strong in favor of the ducks being better should have won game one, round one, whatever you want to call it. And, oh, by the way, where there were once two Heisman Trophy winning candidates at quarterback, now there's just one. Bo Nix has continued to to put up numbers and maintained his groove, whereas Michael Penix has really faded. And that helps explain Washington's offense not looking nearly as lethal as it did when they played the Ducks the first time around. So I, I'm going to watch Friday night. I think it's going to be a, a fast – I hope it's going to be a fascinating game. I think I know that Georgia and Alabama will be a fascinating game. You mean like a tank seven in hand? What, what are we thinking? What's Friday night looking like? Mm. No, I think Friday night. Well, you know what? I'm going to be hanging with the the, the oh, that's right. Wellington, so I can't commit to tank seven, not knowing exactly where I'm going to be. I, Deep LM IPA might be more in order on Friday night. Something tells me you'll find whatever you need. I've been known to do that. But I, if I have to, I, I don't really want to drink Lone Star. Mm. All right, and I'm not a big Shiner guy. Um, but Deep Ellum will work if if uh, the if the quick stop around the corner from uh, the Bedford Courtyard doesn't have uh, any Boulevard beer. I can make Deep Ellum work just fine while I watch Oregon and Washington. I think that sounds like a lovely, lovely. Friday night. What are you gonna I think do? That is, what are you gonna do with a football game Saturday? Oh man. Um get some reading in, um attend to my, my correspondences. I have a few pen pals I gotta get back to. Um get caught up in my knitting. I don't know, all the things I don't do on a Saturday <laughs> when we're talking about football. Um no, I'll be watching. That's the thing. We we cover football all year, and then I have a free Saturday. And what do you think I'm going to be doing? I'll be watching football. Um, I think you're right. I think the most intriguing game is that game because it's probably, this is another question for Gary and Gary out, but probably a win and in. Obviously, Washington, if they win that game, mm-hmm. they're staying in the rankings. Right. I think Oregon, based on where they are, you know, it's a debate probably, you know, them, Texas, Florida State, uh, Alabama, all the different results. It's kind of the first year of this the four-team playoff is caught up to the committee because usually it's pretty simple. Um, but I think that Oregon, you know, winning in, and especially the momentum they've been riding. So that's the big one. I am still intrigued by what's going to go down in Atlanta. And that's also because there's just so much other, there's historical context there. It's not just this mm-hmm. year's game. It's the fact that Alabama owned Georgia for so many years. Georgia has flipped the script, and you just never know what can quite go right. down. Alabama has has looked as bad as it has um, last week against Auburn, and they've looked great at other points. I mean, they they were trending so well upward, really up until that point, and then fourth and thirty one comes around, mm-hmm. uh, and they manage it otherwise. That one intrigues me, I, and and also if Alabama wins, I think then all hell breaks loose because you're talking about either leaving out the two time defending champions. Uh, whose worst loss is to, or the only yeah. loss is to Alabama. Alabama has a loss to Texas. Can you put them in? What happened to head-to-head? That is where the chaos gets unleashed, is, is right there. Uh, do you have faith in Florida State? No. I've been saying for weeks they're, they're going down. Um, this the committee would be thrilled about that, I take it, if they could not have to wrestle with that question, right, with Florida State? The committee? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, Florida State wins. I don't care who, you know, they could, they could, uh, bring back Rick Stockstill to uh, who I think just got fired as middle Tennessee. He, he was one of the longest tenured coaches in the country. Yeah. I like him Gundy and a uh, uh, guy at Utah. His name is escaping me right now for no good. Whittingham. Reason. Yeah. Kyle Whittingham. Yeah. No, I can attest to that because the day before OU Oregon in 2006, I interviewed uh, during a drive. I had, I took with John Hoover along the Oregon coast. Like we had to pull over so I could interview Rick Stockstill, who the next week I think was taking middle Tennessee state to Norman. So yeah, hmm. I, Sad that I know how long he's been the coach of, uh, of MTSU. Um, I think he also used to be Florida State quarterback. If he was quarterbacking Saturday night against Louisville and Florida State won like three to two, I think the Seminoles would still be set. You know, they're fine. They're, they're undefeated out of a power five. But I, I kind of think it's 
the Bills finally come and do. Might, but it's a Louisville team that I don't know if we can really predict either. It's curious. Uh, Big Ten, it's the greatest intrigue, just Tony Petiti potentially having to hand that trophy, or almost certainly having to hand that trophy to Jim Harbaugh. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Uh, well, for that matter, what about Brett Yormark handing the hardware to yeah. potentially uh, Steve Sarkeesian? Potentially. I think Yormark can stomach that one. He's been, on the whole, comments aside. He's a pretty slick just, fella. Yeah, whereas Petiti, and certainly more fresh wounds. You're going to hand a trophy to the guy you suspended true. for three games at the pressure of everyone else in your conference. Yeah. That's pretty tough. I think Yormark will be okay. Yeah. And, goodness, imagine the scene if he's handing that trophy to Mike Gundy. Talk about symbolic at the they, end of at the end of everything that started in July 2021. Yeah. Oklahoma and Texas leaving. Yeah. If it ends with Mike Gundy with a team that has, I, I don't agree with any of the, they're lucky to be there, any of that, but that has certainly flown by the seat of its pants. You've, mm-hmm. you've chronicled plenty uh, th- the moments that if a ball bounces a different way or a penalty flag, not, not doesn't get thrown, but uh, you know, things in, what was it? Houston was the un- unsportsmanlike conduct yeah, penalty right. that swung everything. Point being, but if Oklahoma State gets there and wins and ends Texas's shot of, uh, of the playoff and, and really just kind of muddies the end of their season, that would be a special moment for Mike Gundy and Brett Yormark. They'll hug it out, man. I promise you. They will. I promise you. Gundy loves that game. Gundy's loved that guy from... He was one of the first coaches to profess his public admiration and affection of Brett Yormark. <laughs> so for, for him to then do uh, the commission solid and, and send Texas out a, a championship game loser, they won't have to hide the emotion. If, if they've hidden it to this point, it'll come pouring out of both men in the confetti shower on stage down in Jerry World. Can you do me a solid? Close out here with a game of Gare In and Gare Out? Or Gare Out? Thought you'd never ask, man. Well, here we are. Uh, so Longhorns are fourteen and a half point favorites uh, at, at Jerry World this weekend. You gear in or gear out on that number? You watched Garrett. a lot of Oklahoma State over the last month, yeah? No, I'm, I'm gear in. I I did a statistical comparison in touting Mike Gundy as Big Twelve Coach of the Year, and essentially saying there's no reason that OSU should be playing in this game if not for the coaching wizardry of Mike Gundy, which is why he deserves what he got today. Um, it's a mismatch. I, don't, I, I mean, it, it just is. And so it, uh, 14 is something I think Texas actually should cover pretty well. Yeah, 14 is a low bar for me on this game. Uh, now, let's say Texas wins that game. Let's say they cover that. So they, they've got a comfortable win. Are you gear in or gear out on conference champion Oregon with a worse strength of schedule? You can compare them, but conference champion Oregon in over conference champion Texas in the playoff. Gear in that it's going to happen. Yeah. Gear in on that it's right. I'd have to. Hmm. Who was their best non conference win, Oregon's? Mm. Texas Tech? Yeah, I think that I think might so. be it, right? In Lubbock, I think then they win in Lubbock back in September. Doesn't does it exactly hold up next to the Longhorns winning in Tuscaloosa? No. Does it? Well, it's probably a tougher tougher conference well, slate, right? Well, yeah, Going through that, who they played. Where, that's where you have to counterbalance, right? I mean, is it enough that that Oregon uh, had just the one setback against undefeated up till they weren't undefeated any, any longer because of Oregon? The one loss coming to un- against undefeated Washington. So uh, besides Utah's strength, um, you know, you know what? If Oregon doesn't get in with one loss, it might be USC's fault, right? Because Lincoln Raleigh didn't hold didn't hold up his end nope. of that of that deal. That that win is that well, win isn't quality for anybody anymore. And in a sense, I don't know that this would do it, but you know, Texas can be cursing that Oklahoma didn't get back here and they can't avenge their one loss. Um, same time, if you're Texas. Uh, it was a magical drive, but don't let Dylan Gabriel, you know, have the drive of his life to to tear down the field against you. Mm-hmm. And we're having a different conversation here about playoff teams. You don't have that one loss, so there's that too. I, uh, I, real quick, I would just say this: if if Texas wins, Oregon beats Washington, well, then it stands that what Texas has got to do is cheer like hell for Alabama to win to make them make their win over the Tide in September look even stronger, right? Even up to better. Less. 
speaking of the tide, they win that game. Their only loss is to Texas. They have gone out, you know, Michigan, who did they play in non-conference? Nobody. No, God, they, they haven't played anyone since like Rick Leach was quarterback. It feels like. non-conference. <laughs> so Alabama goes out of conference, plays a tough game, loses by 10 at home. After that, they rip off all these wins. And if they go beat Georgia, you're talking about a conference champion with one loss and they, they played a good team in non-con and they got beat two months ago. You gear in or gear out on them getting left out with that kind of resume. Gosh. I'd have, you're about Alabama, right? Mm-hmm. You're asking me Alabama's resume if they beat Georgia? Because I don't know if they're getting in. I don't know. I, I, I can't. I, that's to me. The, I'm 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 Garen on them getting in. If you're asking me, I can't remember how you phrased right. the question. I I cannot believe. I can't it. either. Would, there's just no way they're going to do it. I think you're right. I think the committee would have to put an SEC champion in, but I just I, it does. Then you're. What do you say to to uh, to Texas that did everything right ultimately, no, but you. beat Oklahoma? I know. Um, that's the tough part. Well, but, I mean, I, I okay. So, Let's say Michigan. Okay, Michigan win. Let's say Michigan does what we think. They beat Iowa. Yep. So I I think Florida State will lose, but let's say they don't. That's Florida State. Michigan's unbeaten. Still get one loss. Alabama in. One loss. You locked out Oregon. What do you well, tell the Oregon? What, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I mean, if you're, then it becomes again. Oregon's win over Texas Tech versus Texas's win over Alabama would give the what Alabama. Georgia. You just lost at the wrong time to a team. That almost just lost to Auburn. I, I wouldn't advise you to lose your conference championship game and still state your case. Similar, mm. I'd say the same thing to the Huskies and the Seminoles, right? I mean, it just seems like a really lousy time to lose, to lose, even if it's your first loss. It's been done. I, I know there have been teams that have made playoffs after losing right at, at the, down at the end. But all right, I've got one last question for you. You lived in Nebraska, right? You've you've got some yes some time there in the background. Tell us that briefly. First Tell job in college it. was in Columbus, Nebraska. How uh, far is that from Omaha? About a hundred miles, it's right in the middle of the state, Columbus. All right, some good people up there. Well, speaking of the good people up there, reading from the Omaha, Nebraska AP, uh, a Nebraska woman bagged a marriage proposal earlier this month, along with a big buck. Where are we going with this? Hold on, hold on, please. I'm reading here. Uh, she bagged a marriage proposal earlier this month along with a big buck during a recent deer hunting trip. Samantha Kamazin's boyfriend not only gave her the first shot of the deer they had spotted on a trail uh, south of Lincoln, but then surprised her by popping the question in the middle of a photo shoot with the prize trophy, a giant buck with 11 tines on one side of its antlers and nine on the other. You gear in or gear out on the, uh, I don't know, multi-point buck uh, hunting marriage proposal. <laughs> gear in or gear out? Is this what the coordinator search has done to you? Fortunately, yes. I've got a soft spot for uh, for the wildlife, my brother. I am I am gear out on using that poor buck as a prop to to background my marriage proposal. There've got to be more sensible and certainly more romantic ways to ask my future Mrs. What was the name again? Mrs. What? The Camazin. Uh, boyfriend doesn't get a, a name. Shout oh, this out. was just the fiat. This was just the, the proposee. Yeah. Uh, proposee. Yeah. Yep. No, no, man. I'm <laughs> gear out all the way. That's, that's, it's just not fair to the animal. It's not fair to kill it. Number one, but even if that you're doing it for sport, um, Hasn't he suffered enough? <laughs> well, here I don't know if it's a happy ending, uh, but I can tell you a bit more about their love story. In three years of dating, one of the things this couple has bonded over is their shared love of hunting. They process and eat the meat of what they kill. So at least maybe they ate it. I don't know. I don't know what's good or bad here. Um, and this is the note to end the Letterman jacket on right here um, this week. We always take you to exotic places. Sometimes it's Provo. Sometimes it's hunting in Nor- uh, Omaha, Omaha, Nebraska. I don't know. Um, soon we'll be, I don't know. We're, we're going to be at a bowl game somewhere. We can record from there. Exotic San Antonio. The river. Soon enough. We, uh, we, sh- we should record from a gondola on the river there.
Done. With the with, the with the violinist playing uh, since you're so all of a sudden you discovered the seventies playing something by uh, the Bee Gees or or uh, Casey and Ooh, the Sunshine. I do like the Bee Gees. I do like the Bee Gees. I have a soft spot for them. Yeah, I'm not surprised. No, no. Hmm. Well, I'm gonna go listen to the Bee Gees, throw them on, and just get into my seventies. You don't even know who they are, do you? More than a woman. Come on, man. <laughs> and uh, how deep is your love? To my favorite. I uh, how deep is your love is is a personal favorite. That's for damn sure. Well, on that note, we'll close it out here on the Letterman jacket. Garen, what are you gonna be doing this week? You're going to Arlington. Tell yes. us what you got going. A uh, football game. Going to write about the Cowboys, Texas uh, Longhorns Big Twelve Championship game. I've uh, got one more post to selloutcrowd.com tomorrow about the matchup. One player, one problem, one preposterous prediction, one pick. I already know, I think, by the tone of my response that I think the Longhorns are in pretty good shape here. Uh, plug for Mind Games, which is uh, my version of the Letterman jacket on the Sellout Crowd Network. Uh, your old friend and mine, John Walker of the Stillwater News Press, was my guest. Oh, yeah, he is. Uh, that's he's amazing. Left- He's left us. Uh, he's gonna. He's he's up covering the Creighton Blue Jays now for the Omaha. Speaking of Omaha, Nebraska for the World Herald, and I I had a chance to uh, to say goodbye to him and have, give him a chance to uh, bid farewell to Mike Gundy, uh, and we had a lot of fun with that. Oh, that's great. I wonder if he knows much about buck hunting up in uh, in Nebraska. We'll learn. They take that stuff pretty seriously up there. Yeah, they do. Well, uh, I've got had all the coverage on, on the OC search. I've got a, a story right now at selloutcrowd.com. You can go find if you want to learn a bit more about Seth Luttrell's background, what people who played for him and who have worked around him thought of the guy. Uh, pretty good overview of what the Sooners are getting. Uh, you'll have more from me on the Sooners coming up, recruiting, uh, coordinator stuff, everything going on. We'll have it at Sellout Crowd. Big thank you to our producer, Jacqueline Musgrove, to Michael Martin for all his work on here, Michael Lane for everything he does, creative director. And we will be back on the Letterman Jacket. As always, you can find us, Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, wherever you get your podcasts, you can get the jacket, you can get mind games, all of our stuff at selloutcrowd.com.